Hey there, this is Larry, and I'm here with Armin. You're about to listen to a great episode. But before you do, we want to let you know that we're now podcasting over at the Bold Idea Podcast. That's right, and we're not adding any new episodes to Reinventure Me, but we think you're really going to like what we're doing on the Bold Idea Podcast. We're interviewing some great guests and packing ideas and inspiration to help you put your faith to work to bring your idea to life. So when you're done with this episode, go check it out at boldideapodcast.com. Episode 114 of the Reinventure Me podcast. Gaining someone's trust can be hard. Losing it is easy. And regaining it is seemingly impossible. We're going to talk about how to regain trust in this episode of Reinventure Me. Find your next great beginning. Welcome to the Reinventure Me podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Well, hello, and thanks for joining us. This is Larry Gates. Along with Armin Asadi. Along with Armin Asadi. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we just want to welcome you to the Reinventure Me podcast. This is the podcast for what's next in life, and we want to help you explore new ways to reinvent your life, find your opportunities and the ventures you were made to pursue, and this is the Reinventure Me podcast. Episode number 114, Armin, that means what? Where are the show notes? So all you got to do is just go to reinventure.me backslash 114. All right. Those are all the preliminaries, and it seems highly scripted because it is. (laughs) (laughs) So Armin and I, though, have a good time putting these shows together. We have a lot of fun offline, too, but we are so thankful. We really want to just say this. We're so thankful that you take time to listen to our show, and uh, we love it when you Reach out to us on the show notes at reinventure.me, in this case, slash 114, and let us know that you listen to the show, even if it's just to pop by and say, hey, enjoyed the episode, or if you didn't enjoy it, what you didn't like about it, or add to it. We love that when our listeners have some ideas or some suggestions or some other ways that they've tackled this. We have all had the situation, haven't we, Armin, where we've been in situations either where we've lost trust in someone, yes, or we've been the person who's lost someone else's trust. That's right. So we're going to talk about that today. That's what we're going to hit. There is a a guy you know quite well who is one of the trust experts, right? Yeah. So this is a guy I met uh, years ago through random occurrence. And then I ended up being on the Minnesota Prayer Breakfast Board with him and then ended up being friends. And then eventually one day while I was at his house, he invited me to go do this thing called the Trust Edge University, which is like the three-day boot camp Navy SEALs thing. And that's when I decided to have a crush on him. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) Professional crush. Okay. All right. (laughs) This was a boot camp where you had all the ropes and the high pamper poles that you had to climb and all that stuff? Not at all. He made fun of that, actually. (laughs) He he came out right away talking, we're not going to be touching each other's navels with any or anything weird like that. All right. Well, you are bringing an inspire me from your man crush. So let's, let's bring it on. So from the one and only Dave. David Horsager, the best-selling author of the book, Trust Edge, he said, the single uniqueness of the greatest leaders and organizations of all time is trust. Yeah, that was like, if you wondered (laughs) after all that setup, you probably knew what it was. Yeah, I mean, he started this while he was doing his graduate. This is not some one-year project that he did. This is years and years, I mean, almost a decade or more worth of research with professors from Harvard and everywhere else. And Ken Blanchard was involved. I mean, like some giants are involved in this. 
This isn't philosophy or theory for David. No, well, we should get your man crush on the air here. When I've tried, <laughs> <laughs> he has more keynote speeches around the country than anyone I know. He did thirteen cities in eleven days. Oh, he doesn't have an Armin crush then. No, no, <laughs> and he destroys me in ping pong, which is not cool at all. <laughs> well, we have to talk about trust, and it's one of those things that we can take for granted, and we recognize it when we lose trust in someone else, but we often don't think about what it takes for us to build trust in others. Yeah. So let's talk about why trust is important, Armin. A lot of this is after this three-day boot camp that I went through with David Horsager and some other people. But think about it this way. Even if you think about it from a business perspective, for the trusted brand name that's out there, people will pay more. Customers come back and they even tell others. And I mean, not just friends, but their family, their coworkers, their colleagues, random person they sit next to in the bus. From the trusted salesperson will buy. We may even pay more because we trust them. The trusted leader is the leader that's actually followed. A lack of trust is your biggest expense. It doesn't matter if it's your spouse, a friend, or even a client. Where there's low trust, everything costs more. More money takes more time, and it causes more stress. Research done by Watson Wyatt from Work USA. This is what he found. This is this is a shocking statistic. He said. Companies with high trust levels outperform companies with low trust levels by 186% on average. Mm. That's nuts. I mean, think about that. Well, I imagine the similar studies have been done with personal relationships as well, maybe Mm -hmm. comparing longevity or happiness of marriage. I mean, that's perhaps the most committed trusting relationship Mm -hmm. that exists. I mean, in organizations, as David kind of works around, that's clearly a sign where trust is helpful in in terms of having a healthier business and and high-performance companies. But if you want a high-performance relationship, it's got to be built on trust too. Yeah, I I remember watching some marriage video that we were watching through a Bible study, and it was super awkward because of the people that were there, and there was a whole lot of talk about sex. But it was entertaining (laughs) for me. I laugh at awkward. But one of the things he said that really stuck out to me, he said, and he was talking to the men, he said, the sexiest thing that you could ever do for your wife is to convince her and let her know and make sure that she trusts this without a doubt in her mind that she's the only one for you. And she has to trust that to her core. Mm-hmm. If you can give that to your wife, there isn't a sexier thing that you could ever do for your wife. That's a good word. And that stuck out to me. I was like, oh man. All right, I got to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll be a topic of another show. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> so the last thing I'll point out is if you think about this, everything of value from relationships to financial systems is built on trust. If you look at a credit score, oh, what is that? That's At the end of the day, all that is is a trust score. The higher the score is, the less interest you pay, the more money you have available to you, the more things that you can buy and so sure. on and so forth. They trust you to pay your bills, pay them on time so on and so forth, right? It's, a, it's literally a trust score. So even our financial system is built on trust. Mm-hmm. So all that to say, and there's a lot more that we can get into, but trust is probably one of the most important things that we can have in our lives. Well, if I remember right, I mean, way back in episode one, that was one of the things that you looked for when you were leading a crime syndicate. So even on that side of the spectrum, right, there was this loyalty factor yes. that you had to be able to build in. <laughs> that was people, the most important. And that was the, you, I think I remember you saying that. Yeah. So even in that paradigm, right, that that's a huge factor. So this is really agnostic of what type of work you're in or what kind of relationship you have. Yeah. There's a fundamental psychological need for trust and trusted relationships. Absolutely. 
I would say especially on that side of things is you don't got lawyers to help you in that scenario. Yeah. <laughs> well, right? yeah, you have guns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and you're putting your life in someone's hands, literally, not right. my income, right. salary, title, right. whatever. Here's my heart. Well, but if you think about <laughs> it, if, if you just think about it just from a physiological perspective, I mean, a, a baby is born mm-hmm. innately needing to trust its mother, right? And yeah. it's because there are, it's de- highly dependent. And yeah. we don't actually grow out of dependence. That morphs into interdependence. And right. what is the currency of interdependence? Mm-hmm. It's trust. Right. That's the only way in our partnering episode, we talked about that. That's a key thing there. And it's in any relationship that you have. Yes. It's trust. In fact, right on. you will buy a computer, you'll buy a phone, you'll buy whatever based on your trust that that's actually going to continue working for you too. Yes. The reliability of something to meet the expectations that you have for it. Right. It's all part of the, the dependency that we have on other people. In fact, other things. You wouldn't buy an unreliable, well, I did, <laughs> an unreliable car. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, whenever it breaks down, you yeah. like uh, this car's losing my trust, and, right. and it becomes a lemon. You yes, know? so yes. it's so funny because I did that with laptops. I bought HP, then a compact, and I kept changing. Right, I actually started with Dell, and I kept changing, 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 and then I bought one brand that I've never switched from since. Mm. Apple. That's it. Yeah, it's because it's consistent. I can trust it to be the same. Yeah. Well, that was a 30-second commercial brought to you by Apple. <laughs> yeah. Can we get a sponsor for you yeah, from this so in Apple? Other words, in other words, if you work for Apple, let them know we just gave you a commercial. <laughs> but, you know, we probably should talk. Trust is an easy word to say, and certainly it's composed of five letters. It's a very simple word, but it's composed of quite a bit. There's things that make trust up, right? So David has what he calls the eight pillars of trust. Why don't you walk us through that? Sure. Again, remember, this took three days. I'm about to give it to you in five minutes or less, hopefully. So there's the eight pillars of trust that David Horsager talks about. And he says, one is consistency. So think McDonald's, right? Everybody's heard this McDonald's example, but it is the best example. Whether I go to Minneapolis or I go to France or I go to Japan, anywhere I see the Golden Archers, I can trust that my Big Mac in Minneapolis in Paris and Tokyo, it's going to be the exact same Big Mac. Well, nearly so. You may not know this. When I was traveling in foreign countries, I made a commitment to eat it at a McDonald's in every foreign country I visited. The only one I was not able to eat one in, surprisingly, was Sweden. Why? Oh, no, Norway. It was Norway. The the best I could find was a Burger King. I couldn't find any McDonald's in Norway. (laughs) But the, the one thing that's different is ketchup. Oh, the taste of ketchup, for instance, in the UK is completely different than the ketchup that you get here in, in the States. And it does wow. change. So I was a little disappointed because for the very reason you're describing, yeah. you're expecting to be able to have a very consistent experience. And for the most part, it is. So when there's something even as small as ketchup, ketchup that tastes different, it makes a difference. Then, then you know that, in fact, that is a key part of trust. Right. It's This one thing was inconsistent. It That's was. crazy. It was. And it's a random fact, but I'm glad I know that now. So this next one is clarity. So David Horsager actually started with this, and we probably spent the most amount of time on this one topic than the other seven combined, because it was that fundamental to trust. So trust is comprised of clarity. Yep. Clarity about what? Clarity yep, is that one topic that we spent so much time on. And clarity in general. So he's saying, so a lot of people say communication. If you'll notice, communication is not in his eight pillars. 
He said, anytime that you talk about communication, really what you're talking about is clarity. You're not talking about communication. All communication is, is the vehicle to clarity. What you use communication for is to get to your end goal of knowing exactly what you want. He says, people do not trust the ambiguous, but people do trust something that's very specific, that's very clear, and you have a set understanding of what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Which is probably explains why most people don't trust politicians. <laughs> right. And everything is ambiguous, right? right. There, right. there is there no go. actionable plan. It's just rah, rah, rah. So clarity fosters trust. What's next? Yes. So the next thing we got is compassion. People trust those that can care beyond themselves. If you can show that you care about others more than you care about yourself, you care about them as much as you care about your organization, some sort of compassion is what people trust. Mm, especially Excellent. when it's directed to them, I'm guessing. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Another one is character. So a lot of times we hear this, you know, that integrity builds trust and all that, but it's not everything, but it is foundational. It's the work of life to do what's right over what's easy. And it's so often that we will do what seems opportunistic or whatever. But at the end of the day, the people who are willing to do what's right over what's easy that people end up trusting because they can trust them to do the right thing. Okay. Contribution is another one, which is you just need to be a contributor for you to have trust. So think about being on a team. Everyone who's gone to high school or college and has had to work in a group where your grade depends on two other people, you know what contribution means, right? Mm -hmm. You always have that one person that's like, uh, mm -hmm. and then they never apply to anything. And then you get an A and then you know they're getting an A where you're like, God, you put in 10 minutes of work. I put two weeks of work, mm -hmm. right? right? People don't trust the people who are not willing to put the effort or contribute something to the cause, whatever mm -hmm. that cause may mm -hmm. be. So even think marriage relationships. Sure. Right. Yeah, yeah. Are you holding up your end of the bargain? Right? right. Are you doing the laundry, taking out the trash? Yes. Yes. <laughs> all the fun stuff of yeah. life. Fueling my love tank, all that stuff. Yeah. Competence. Did you say feeling or fueling? Fueling. <laughs> I just wanted to make, I just want to make sure uh, I understood what you were saying. <laughs> all right. Keep going. Filter accomplished. All right. <laughs> Competency. This is something a lot of people don't think about, but it's true. Good character is one thing because we talk about that integrity thing all the time. But what if you're, and I hate using the word incompetent, but what if you lack competency? Say you're a part of a team, but you lack the competency to be able to help execute on whatever project that you guys are working on, the homework assignment that you have, mm -hmm. being able to communicate to your wife. It's hard to trust adult is what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got it. What's next? Connection. So the ability to connect and collaborate. Working together, you have to be able to understand each other and you have to understand each other on a deeper level than like this is my religious background. Here's my age. Here's my experience, right? Like you have to actually know each other, like the love languages that we talk about for marriages, but knowing personality types, what offends, what doesn't offend. Yeah. You know, I find this to be one of the, I, I think this is a key pillar and I haven't been through horse hacker stuff as you have, but to me, what I see when people don't trust people, it's often because they've never taken the time or the energy or the effort to really connect with them, to get to know who they are, to understand them, to spend time with them, to get inside of how they think. And yeah. oftentimes we don't trust people that don't think like us, don't look like us. They're different. Totally. And when we don't connect with them and try to understand where they're coming from, what their paradigm is, whatever, then there is no way we can format trust. Yes. And I find that a lot of people say, I don't trust that person. You ask why? It's not for any reason of connection. Right. And so when they don't trust them, they don't connect. But the right. key is, is the connection creates trust. Trust doesn't create connection. Yes. That's right. Yeah, that's 100% right. The more, <laughs> so the more <laughs> you work together, the more you get done. And it's really not about being independent or codependent. It's about interdependence. 
And that's what connection does. And then the last thing is commitment. And this is something that I found super valuable is that it's hard to teach those type of people who like to promise something or commit to something, but overcommit all the time and never really finish half the things that they commit to that this is something that's breaking your trust and breaking your relationships more more than anything else is because people are looking at you and saying that what you're committing to, whatever comes out of your mouth isn't reality and everybody's judging you by your action. And if you can't commit and deliver, then you're breaking everyone's trust. So commitment being one of the fundamental pieces of this, mm. if you commit, deliver. Yeah. If you can't deliver, don't commit because commitment is truly one of the highest pillars in this whole trust philosophy. Yeah, yeah. And it seems to me like trust is one of those things that really just gets strengthened only through testing. Trust is not one of those static things. It's either it's either growing or eroding and the way it grows is by showing that it's stable and you almost have to test it in some ways to know that you've got the trust there because trust right. holds up under the test. I don't know if we ever talked about this before. I used to own a parakeet. You ever did we Why? talk about this one time? No. Okay, so I used to own a parakeet, and and uh, well, you know, I don't know. As a kid, I enjoyed the birds, but <laughs> I trained my parakeet to hop up on my finger. And do you know how you do that? I mean, no. it's, there's a very simple way to train a parakeet to hop up on your finger, and I've got a point to this story. So. Okay, do you put food on it? <laughs> no, actually, you tap your finger underneath just where their two little legs are okay. underneath their, their body. And then what they'll do is they'll just step up on your finger, but they don't always do that. Sometimes what they'll do is they'll reach down with their beak and they'll pinch your finger. Oh, great. Now it seems like what they're doing is they're, they're being aggressive, but that's not what they're doing. What they're doing is when they pinch your finger like that with their beak or bite it, they're testing the strength of it. They're testing whether it oh, has the strength stable. to hold on to it. Because if you withdraw your finger from that, then you cannot train them to step on your finger because there's no reliable, trustworthy perch for them. Interesting. So they test the strength of a perch by biting it. Huh. And that is how we often engage in trust of other people. Mm -hmm. We put out a little bit and we find out, uh, are they able to do good in the little? Yeah. You know, as the Bible says, doing well in the little, you're faithful in the lot. Yeah. You know, you've got to do well in the little. And that's that test to say, can you hold up under that? Can you be a person that I can trust? Right. And trust is one of those things that confirms that you won't fail under a test. That's what it's really about. It's the rigor of a test. Right. <laughs> it, it, you know, in the same way that you described with credit scores. I mean, you have a high credit score that says that you've stood the test of having paid your bills hmm. when they became due. You're not delinquent. You're consistent. All the things that right. David talks about. Yeah, that's it. But there are many ways, even all that stuff that takes to build trust, there are many ways it can get broken, right? Oh, yeah. I think one of the best quotes I've ever heard on trust was, oh, well, it takes a lifetime to grow a forest. It takes one idiot with a match in the middle of the woods to burn it down. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> I tend to be the idiot with the match sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think we all do that. <laughs> okay, let me throw something your way. You, you've lived a longer life than me, but I feel like I've probably oh, made you this. Oh, you digging that in again. All right, here we go. I'm One ready. of us is a grandpa. I'm just <laughs> trying to keep reminding. So I, I feel like I've made the mistake more, but I think you obviously have seen it. How does trust get broken, whether it's on a personal level or on a professional level in your eyes? Well, I think there's a lot of ways 
trust gets broken. Obviously, trust is broken when someone's expectation is not met, and that expectation could be set by you. Mm-hmm. So it could be that you've promised to do something. Yes. and you We will come. have a date night every week. There, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go. What idiot said that? <laughs> yeah. Or, or I'll, I'm mean, going to deliver this paper on time. I, I think I told you I still am overdue on a paper I delivered a promise to a professor back in college. Perfect. No, no, there's no way I'm going to deliver on that paper. I, I've blown his trust, you yeah. know. But, but you but, could regain it. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Just not deliver the, it now. Not at this point. Not in, astro, not, not in atmospheric physics, I don't think I oh, could. Oh, geez, you know? yeah. Obviously, if you tell a, a bald-faced lie, and sure. or if you break a confidence, yeah, that's where I've seen a lot of trust being broken among people is there's a confidence, and, and, I, and I shared that with you, and you violated it in some way. Right. And I mean, I think if you're unpredictable, you lose trust as well. Okay. I had worked with a CFO one time in one of my companies and I inherited him from the former CEO and I could never tell when he would come in the office, which mood he would be in, whether he would be the, the affable workable guy, the, the one who you could talk to and, or the guy who had a chip on his shoulder and was very angry. And hmm. when you don't have consistency, I know that's one of the things you talked about, but yeah. in the workplace, that consistency shows up just in your level of professionalism yeah. and in the way in which you're able to have self-control. The Bible says that's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Having that self-control that just shows that you are not going to be this angry person that comes out one time and maybe not another, or even just right. a constant anger can be a, yeah. a problem too, because you don't know how people who are emotionally volatile will respond. They're hard to trust. Right. Or if you think about it the other way around from a leader's perspective, the leader who's always vague. Yeah. And cast those ambiguous visions that you can't really grab on. Yeah. Back to your clarity point. Yeah. Yeah. Because you you could sit there and ask him, how are we going to do this? And they instantly get that annoyed face. Or you're asking, (laughs) or or you're saying, when will I get my performance review? When will I get my raise? You know, (laughs) everything's two weeks. You know, funny story there because my daughter, Stephanie, now she's already, well, she's a mother now. So, but when she was a little girl, she really wanted a horse. And, you know, as a dad, I just tell her she can get a horse in two weeks. And, Did you really? It's always two weeks. <laughs> I might have even said tomorrow. I don't remember exactly how it went. But Maybe tomorrow. I, I think, you know, I lost her trust that she would ever get a horse because of the, because, hey, well, it's not tomorrow yet or it's not two weeks yet. I said oh, two weeks. Terrible. You know, yeah, it is one of those bad things, bad dad things that, that you do. I mean, that's, that's a father wound for sure. I'm sure she's working through, but I mean, we make fun of that. But I think when we don't take what we say seriously, we don't take yeah. what we do seriously. And we don't consider the impact of what we say or we do on other people. It's a recipe for distrust. Right. Or for a broken trust. Right. So I guess that's a perfect lead in for us to talk about really what we're here to talk about, which is how we regain trust after we've broken it. Because I don't think there's anyone I've ever met that hasn't broken trust. Right. In one form or another. Yeah. You know, you can talk to Mother Teresa or the Pope or otherwise. Everybody's broken trust in some way. Mm -hmm. So... What do we do? How do we even begin this process of regaining trust? Is there anything that we need to understand before we start regaining it even? Well, I think so. One of the breakthroughs that I learned about, really, the it, a concept that I hadn't really considered and I think explains a lot, I picked up from a man by the name of Earl Wilson and his wife, Sandy. They came to our church one time to talk about how to create restoring communities. And what they were really trying to do was help people who had gone through some marital infidelity or something that created this 
entire breach of trust. Now, when you're talking about trusted relationships, there's probably no relationship more trusted than a marriage relationship, right? right? That is right. the covenant relationship. And when that gets broken, then how do you restore that relationship? And right. and this couple um, had gone through that themselves through an affair, and they'd worked through this Oof. process of restoration. And now their ministry is to go and equip other leaders and counselors wow. and all the rest through that as well. But as they were talking, he shared this concept, Armin, that I'd not heard anywhere, but I've used a number of times in the situations where I've counseled some men going through a distrust or a breach of trust in sure. their marriage relationships. And and I've even used it in churches between elders and congregations and things like that to talk about how you build trust between the bodies there as well. And this is a um, illustration that's put together or a model that's really put together by Paul and Virginia Friesen. They are co-authors with Earl and Sandy Wilson on a book. But they said that there's really, when trust is violated, the person who is now distrusting of the other has to work through three doubts. And, and really, until you get through these three phases of doubt, trust cannot be regained. Hmm. In other words, we often think that all we need to do is apologize for whatever breach we had, and then they ought to act as if nothing's ever happened. Right. And the fact of the matter is that isn't likely, and it's very unusual when it does, there's usually some residue, but usually even still the restoration of trust takes a long, long time. Sure. Yeah. Now what they describe are these three phases that you have to go through. You have to overcome the doubt of sincerity. First of all, that's phase one. So when I breach someone's trust, if I were to have an affair and breach Anna's trust of me, her first question that she's going to be asking, maybe not consciously, but subconsciously, is, is he really sincere mm. about his apology? Mm. So there's going to this doubt of sincerity, right? And until I can demonstrate how broken I am because of that loss of trust, mm. I will never get through that phase of the right. doubt of sincerity. But suppose over time I've demonstrated that enough, she's through that, or not to a trusted and restored relationship, yet we got to go through another phase. That phase is the phase of ability. Now she's asking the question, not whether I'm sincere. She believes that I'm sincere, that I'm remorseful, and that I've demonstrated that. Now she's wondering, do I have the ability to not do it again? Hmm. Do I have the tools? Do I have the resources? Am I setting up the appropriate boundaries and protections and things that are necessary for me not to abridge that trust again? Because, hmm. you know, nobody wants to be burned twice. Right. So... Once I have demonstrated that, then I'm still not over. I'm not through the woods yet because there's still yet one phase for her to go through and work through internally, and that is the doubt of durability. In other words, I've got to overcome the question in her mind, yeah, but will it last? Oh, interesting. So, so it might be he's sincere. Ability. Now, now. now, how long will it last? Does he have the ability to keep going with it, to sustain it? Is it like you just described with mm. the quote about the best thing you can do is demonstrate unalterable commitment to your wife, right? That she's right. the only one. That's the core question right there. Yeah. That durability, when you can demonstrate that. Now, the key is until you get through, and this is what I thought was the brilliance of this model, until you get through those three doubts, and you don't know how long it's going to be. It could be different depending on the grievance and the person. Yeah. You, there's no formula here. It's the, the time period through each of those three phases is not fixed in stone. No, but until you get through all three is. phases, here's the key. Sure. Until you get through all three phases, the other party will not respond 
mm. with renewed trust. It takes going through all three before you start to get a renewed trust. Yeah, which is really interesting because a lot of us, especially guys, if you're in this scenario, you're talking like, say, the guy is the one who was unfaithful. Yeah. I think we talked about this earlier, but we, we typically eventually give up because we don't see a response from them. That's right. We get the grade from the party we offended, right? So right. it's kind of like, I'm going to blow up on you and you're going to be mad at me right? But then I'm always looking for you to tell me I'm doing okay. Right. So all eyes are still back on me, right? It's like, I want you to give me the grade that I'm doing okay. And so if we don't understand that they still have to go through those three doubts before they can give you any kind of response, if we don't understand that, what ends up happening is you go, well, I'm not getting anything from them. It doesn't matter if I'm, if I do it or if I don't do it, I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't. Yeah. So I might as well do it. Well, here's the problem that that occurs. If you then commit another grievance, what ends up happening for each of those phases is the length of time to get through them increases. Yeah. And what ends up happening is you keep acting out in that way. In other words, you keep committing deeds of distrust. Yeah. And what ends up happening is those phases get so long, no one can get through them. Right. And so it's just impossible then to restore trust because there's been so many of those grievances that, well, I, I say impossible, but you know, with God, anything is possible. But I believe that it really, really becomes incredibly difficult to right. get through it when you keep distrusting. Yeah. Because that's the mechanics of it. Again, for me, I, I, it's, it's what I'm looking at, the person I'm talking to. If all I gauge is unresponsiveness, I'd, I'd probably be like, this isn't working. This is, this is pointless. When in reality, I just didn't wait long enough to get through all three phases. That's it. And there, I think there's nothing more important to recognize when you've created a deed of distrust, when you've broken someone's trust, it really works regardless of whether it's a marriage relationship or a work relationship or a friendship. Those three doubts, the doubt of sincerity, ability, and durability are on the other person's mind. Even if they right. may not be aware of it, they've got to work themselves through it before they can restore trust. Love it. So if we were to put a simple plan together for someone who has broken trust, but they need to rebuild that trust, where do you think is a good place for a starting point for a plan to regain trust? Well, Armin, let's talk about some simple steps, I think. And some of this is probably self-explanatory, but it's helpful to recognize that unless you go through these things, you're probably not likely to regain trust at all. So, I mean, these sure. are kind of the fundamentals, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, this is a football kind of thing. First is, identifying specifically how you broke the trust. I mean, you can't game this in any way at all. You've yeah. got to be honest with yourself. And if you're not clearly, back to that clarity thing, if you're not clearly stating what it is that you own mm -hmm. in terms of that trust broken, that's back to what David was saying. Right. Clarity is key. It isn't just about communicating. You can't just say, oh, I'm sorry. Right. And, and my kids have done this and we talk... <laughs> Our family here is to say, you're sorry for what? I want to understand right. what it is that you're sorry for. Give me clarity about what the apology is about. Right. That identifying part seems really crucial. And sometimes it probably requires the other person, you asking, how did I do wrong to you? Or That's how right. Did I break and probe it. You know, yeah. So it, identify it and then say, is that what happened? Or am I missing anything? Right. You know, all those things create empathy as well acknowledging it, acknowledging the damage that was done is part of that identifying it, I think, but that's an important ingredient and really acknowledging how the other person must have felt when they were on the receiving end of that broken trust. Right. You know, if you're in a corporate setting and you say, 
hey, I didn't come through for you. And I think that that puts you in a pretty precarious or bad situation and left you feeling a little vulnerable. Am I missing anything? Is that how you felt? I mean, just to try to understand that, give them some words on that. And so that they know, you know how they felt, even if it's not quite right, they'll appreciate the fact that you tried to put yourself in their shoes. Right. I think at this point, it would be probably a good time to apologize. Yeah, of course. Apology is, (laughs) apology is necessary, right? I mean, but I don't think you should apologize until you understand, first of all, what you're clearly apologizing for and how it affected them. If you don't know those two things, then you can't form an adequate apology, in my opinion. And you need to apologize for the damage that you've done and the way in which the trust has been violated and make a commitment to regain that trust. Yeah. One of the stories David shared was of a big time CEO from Netherlands who came into America and David asked him, "What, what difference do you see between your culture and here? And he said, in America, you have a bunch of lying apologizers. There's a lot of people who apologize who don't mean it mm-hmm. and don't get it. Yep. Because we want to just move on. Yep. It's, yeah, it's just getting past the conflict. It's not actually regaining trust. It's, I don't want to deal with this conflict anymore. So how many times have you heard or perhaps said, can't we just go back to the way things were? <laughs> right. Yeah. But that's kind of like taking a piece of paper, crumpling it, and then stretching it back out and hoping for it to be... You know, the same piece of paper, you you can't, you can flatten it out again, but it's never going to look the same. It never will. Yeah. Never will. The next point, I think it was just to create a plan. And that means you got to really think about regaining trust. Trust is one of those things we do take for granted. And unless we specifically work to create a plan saying, I'm going to win you back Mm -hmm. and here is how I'm going to do it. Right. Being very clear about it. Here's one thing I took away from the horse auger training that was the most effective thing. It says, anytime you're creating a plan whether it's a small plan, big plan, or any, it doesn't matter. If you're creating a plan, the most important question is not why. He says the most important question is how. And he said, you cannot ask that question once. You cannot ask that question twice. You have to ask that question three times. And he says, until you get an answer that gives you something that they're going to do today or tomorrow that's actionable, then you don't actually have a plan. Yeah, that's so good. If you have a plan, ask yourself three times. And that third question is a how specifically are you going to do right. it today or tomorrow? Otherwise, right. you don't got a plan at all. Yeah, don't be ambiguous. Like, I'm just going to love my wife more. Or I'm just going <laughs> to you know, pay more attention or whatever. You know, Yeah, what does that mean? How are you going to do that? Mm-hmm. That's great. I guess the, the last thing, let's just end it on this, yeah. is just deliver. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've said this over and over again. Mm-hmm. But at whatever plan you come to... Don't make a plan that's going to screw you and leave you in a place worse than you are already. If you can't commit to the plan to fix the situation, just don't. Right. Just leave it at the apology and say, I'm sorry, I committed to something I, I yep. couldn't deliver on. Yep. Or I, but at least don't do it again. Yeah. I don't know how I can recover this situation. I'm open to ideas, you know, whatever. Yes. But you've got to deliver once you make a commitment and a plan. Yes. Well, we should probably talk a little bit about fine print here because yes. I do think, you know, you got to read behind the, the lines here. And this is one of those times where people will talk really fast, you know, and death. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so many funny ideas in said. <laughs> but um, here's the thing you know the result your results are going to vary because people are different and some people are willing to re-engage trust very quickly and yeah. others once you've burned them you've burned them and yeah. you need to understand that and that isn't to say you stop trying to earn their trust back but it is to understand that if your whole purpose is to win 
then you have probably looked at the wrong way to do this because right. you want to regain their trust. This isn't about them conferring something on you that is a prize. Yeah. It is something that you gain, and they give it to you. You can't take it from right. them. Right, it's a healing process, not it, a winning process. It is, that's yeah. right. And then one plan or set of actions that you go on will not be the ticket to regaining all the trust. I, I tell you, I've had relationships where my trust of them has been eroded, and while it has been regained, I would say it's not been reset to the original level. And you just cannot expect that one time through this is necessarily going to reset it all the way because you're still going to be on guard. Right. That maybe there's still something missing. It's hard to get rid of that little residual that's there. And it's going to be impossible for some people to regain trust at all in someone just because that's, it might be so grievous, it's too much harm done, or they have their own bitterness or history that they can't get through and they need the healing and the time and the space to do it. Yeah. That's what makes trust such a difficult thing. Right. And it's so easy to destroy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's so difficult to build. Well, if, if you are someone who has broken trust, here's our challenge for you identify the person that you've broken trust with and then identify very, very specifically how you broke trust with them and how it affected them and then follow our simple action plan and see if it does help you uh, regain trust with that person, whether it's a leader, your wife, your children, or whoever it is. And do us a favor. Let us know how it went. Let us know what worked, what didn't work, what could be better, or if there's something that you learned from it that you think we should have added to it, because that's what we want to hear. Absolutely. And if you've been in a situation where you've gone through this trying to regain trust, or maybe someone has tried to regain your trust, and if you've got some stories to share or some principles to share with us that you think would be helpful for our listeners to know about, other listeners to know about, then put that on our show notes at reinventure.me slash 114 or call and leave us a, a comment at 612-314-5447. And of course, we always love it when you take a moment and go out to reinventure.me slash iTunes and rate and review our show. We'd love to hear your comments. And we, again, appreciate that you take the time to listen to this podcast. We hope you were profited by it. So until next week, this is Larry Gates. And Armin Saying so long. You've been listening to the Reinventure Me podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi.